Welcome to the Valor Vault Podcast, the official podcast of South Willamette Valley Honor Flight. The Honor Flight organization treats World War II, Korean War, and Vietnam War era veterans to an all-expense paid trip to Washington, D.C. to experience their memorials and to receive the public gratitude and thanks they may have never experienced. South Willamette Valley Honor Flight is a hub of the National Honor Flight Association, covering Lane, Lynn, Lincoln, and Benton counties of Western Oregon. The goal of the Valor Vault podcast is to record and preserve the stories of our local veterans. Each week, you'll hear from a different veteran as they tell their military stories and tell the stories of their honor flight. Some weeks, we will feature behind-the-scenes stories and interviews from the honor flight trips themselves. Some of these recordings are taken from the production of our two documentary films. Forgotten Heroes, an honor flight story, tells the experiences of World War II veterans. Welcome Home, an honor flight story, covers the Vietnam War era. Both films can be seen at www.swvhonorflight.org. The interviews featured on this podcast are unedited, as we don't want to take anything away from the veterans' stories as they choose to present them. This week, the Valor Vault podcast features World War II veteran Vern Thompson. Vern retired from the U.S. Army as a lieutenant colonel in 1984. He served in the U.S. Navy in World War II. He passed away on July 21, 2020, at the age of 95. In 2014, Vern learned I was creating a film about World War II veterans and randomly showed up at my office one day, eager and ready for his interview. The audio quality is a little makeshift as I was not expecting to do an interview that day, but I still made it work to capture his enthusiastic spirit and memories. Here now, Vern Thompson. I kept trying to get my mother to let me enlist when I was just turned 17, and she was a very stubborn German woman, you know. <laughs> so, so it was hard to get anything through to her. But uh, in February of 47, I had a good friend of mine say, hey, let's go to Wichita and, and join the Navy. And I said, well, I've got to ask my mother, but she'll probably won't let me. What year was that? In 1943, I keep okay. thinking about when I was released, I was, okay. I, with all the blessings, you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, 1943, and uh, I, I would be turned 18 when I was uh, uh, in May of 43, so my mother, she decided that I might as well be able to go because I'd heard that uh, uh, if you wait till you're drafted, then you may not get the service you want because whatever service are taken that day, that that's the one that, that you'll be in. Of course, I never did like it very well to think somebody was pointing a rifle at me that I didn't see. <laughs> so I didn't want the Army. But anyway, why, we got up there and uh, they discovered I was a little bit hard of hearing. So they refused me, but they took my good friend. And of course, being kids, we had he didn't know where I lived, and I didn't know where he lived. We were just friends in town, you know. And anyway, why? So we lost each other. I have no idea where whatever happened to him, except that I, that uh, when I got home, why they suggested I register register my uh, my discharge with the county. And I was trying to find him on the internet when I started trying to learn the internet, and I found that he had registered his discharge. So 
I knew that he came back alive. That's all I ever knew. But anyway, when I turned 18, why I had to take whatever service they give me, and luckily that day, why they was taking all services. So I got to ask for the Navy that I wanted. And so then they sent me off to uh, Farragut, Idaho for uh, my training. And after Farragut, Idaho, why they put me on a troop train headed for uh, California, which we ended up in Richmond, California, because that's, that's where the ship was that I was going to get on. And coming through Oregon, I loved Oregon. You know, being from Kansas, that's a horrible state. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I didn't think about ever getting killed, so I, I said, this is where I'm going to live after I get out of the service. Uh, <clears throat> so we got to California not knowing what kind of a ship or anything I was going to get on to, and I got on a Liberty ship. That's one that uh, Kaiser made in 30 days. And he made many, many of them. I saw lots of them. <laughs> uh, while, we was, while we was docked in Richmond, why, the stevedore started loading us. They put 26 ton of dynamite in number two hole, and as I understand it, all the stuff that made it go boom was in number one hole. And the number three and, and number four holes, why, was food supplies. And in October of that year, while we took off for at the Ellis Islands, British held south of the equator, 17-day trip at uh, 11 knots an hour. <laughs> we was never given a, tri uh, a escort of any kind. We went there all by ourselves, and as I say, we, uh, I turned out to be a shell back five times in one day <laughs> because we crossed the equator. We got down to the Ellis Islands and we unloaded everything and by this time they had was in the process of taking the Marshall Islands. And so from there well, we went to Anahuitalk, which was already liberated. And while there they loaded us up with 55 gallon drums of oil and as I said, they took, put all of her names in a hat, and mine was the only one drawn out of it. And the reason for that was that only one man off our ship could go see Bob Hope. And so I got to go see Bob Hope that night, <laughs> which was a miracle because I never get anything, you know. But anyway, uh, I was in boat duty a lot, and uh, they were taking quadrillion. And when they got Kwajalein taken, well, we was over there a couple of times. And there was Japanese bodies built up about 15 feet high that they hadn't gotten around to burying yet. And, oh, that, that was horrible. It used to be full of palm trees. The only thing that was up over that high was, was uh, uh, the stumps of trees. <laughs> and, the, and the radio tire was, tower was there. But uh, other than that, well, anyway, we ended up uh, being servants to the... Third and fifth fleet. This 55-gallon drums of lubricating oil would float up with uh, lubricate them. So after every action they had, well, they'd come back to us, or we would go to them uh, and to resupply them with the oil that they needed. But then we went to their Caroline group, which is Ulithi. Any sailor in the Pacific knows Ulithi, I think. We sat there for seven months. And in that time, all the all the, uh, the warships would come back to us. At that time, and while we were sitting there for seven months, while we had a 
to a 6-2 man sub attack. And we had, just right at Reveille, one of the subs fired a torpedo at a tanker, which was just about a thousand yards from us. They put us in tanker row with them. If it had been me, I'd have wondered, well, what's that Liberty ship doing in tanker row, you know? Anyway, why? Well, <clears throat> I'm happy they didn't because we had all the lubricating oil in the Pacific at that time and would have slowed to, it would have slowed us down just a little bit until we got more lubricating oil. But anyway, I was in the boats and I had to go help try to find people that was on that and it was high test gasoline and oh, it was a horrible flame and I don't know of any of them surviving off of that. I think every one of them did because you're, you're always taught to uh, go under, uh, you know, swim underwater until you can't breathe anymore and then come up and splash like that, you know, and, and uh, then go back down again to get out of it. But I'm sure it was so hot and probably the flames has taken all the oxygen and everything out with it, you know. But so after that, why, uh, we, one day, why, just at, at uh, dusk, everybody was getting ready to go to the movies. We had two suicide planes come in, and one of them hit the Randolph, which is a small uh, CV uh, aircraft carrier, and the other one hit the island. I don't, I don't know if he knew that that was another aircraft carrier or not, but anyway, at the time I was reporting, they reported that we had, they, we had lost 15,000 men off of that ship, but it turned out through records that it was 150 plus, a little, little bit over 200 was injured. And I guess it really tore it up again, uh, quite a bit. I never got to see that, but I was always close to it, but never close enough to be able to, to see it. While there, hey, we had recreation that you couldn't forget. Once every four days, we got three cans of hot beer over on an island. <laughs> From there, while we, uh, I can't remember all the islands we went to, but. Uh, the one island that I will never forget is Saipan. And we went to Saipan while he was still fighting close to us. In fact, our, our mailman went in for mail one day and he, he got shot at by a, a sniper, but got missed. <laughs> uh, we must have been in the uh, in, in Ackard where the currents change because these Japanese were jumping off of this cliff every, every night. And all day long, while well, we had Japanese bodies floating by us. And I don't know why, but everyone I saw was dressed in white. While there, they had a little island just off, off the side um, called Gripan. And uh, it was no value to us, but we had to take it because the Japanese had a radio station on it. So while I was there, and we was in line to where we could see them go in and take it. And of course, it was quite a distance all. You had to look through gun sights or something like that to be able to see it. But we did get to see that little bit of action. But from then on, while well, we followed the fleet wherever they were going. Right after the end of World War II, uh, we was going to uh, Okinawa. And <clears throat> there was a typhoon at that time. And that old ship of ours, it was supposed to go over at 17 degrees, and we was rolling 16 degrees. And we was going right into the storm. And that old bow always thought it was about 50 feet high, and it was dipping water. I mean, it was really a, really a ride that we had that day. 
after we got into Okinawa, there was 150 ships that had been damaged and ruined there. One destroyer uh, was still sitting in there and its actress was down and they couldn't get them up to leave. <laughs> so they had to sit there until some diver come along and got down there to see what was wrong with that they couldn't get their anchors up anymore. But where we was, well, there was a, <clears throat> there was a cliff about uh, approximately 50 feet high, and there was a seagull and tug sitting up on top of that. So you know that it was quite a storm. From there, we followed the fleet on into Japan. How we got into China, I don't know, but we was in China. And every, every bit of scuttlebutt on the ship was, you know, would come along, and it turned out to be true on our ship. Every bit of it that I've ever heard. Anyway, we got the scuttlebutt. That we was, had been ordered to go through the Suez Canal and go back and decommission in uh, Alabama. That would put us clear around the world. But the last minute, they changed us and we had to go back to Japan. Being a, being a cargo ship, you know, you never know what you're going to get. And on the way to Japan, while well, we stopped in Korea, and I don't know the harbor we was in, but it was close to Seoul. We got to go into Seoul for a couple of liberties. And <clears throat> when we pulled in there, it was late in the evening when we pulled in there and the old man dropped the anchor to find out what our, where our anchorage was. And before we pulled the anchor, we was high and dry. There was a 32-foot drop in tide. And there was only enough water around us that a LCVP could get up to us. And just enough water, we'd keep our steam up until about 12 o'clock that night we got off and we finally got off from it. <laughs> that was quite an experience. 32 feet, I've never seen tide like that before in my life. But. <clears throat> Then we went on back to Japan, and we had to take and remove all the, we didn't remove the guns, but all the guns that were removed off of the old LSTs while it was put on our ship. Uh, the LSTs were being given to the Japanese for their transportation. And finally in 46, well, we got orders that we could go back to the United States, so we had to go back to San Francisco with that load of, that load. <laughs> Uh, so, after that, why, I was lucky. I, I might say, too, that one of my brothers, the oldest brother, he was 17 years older than me, he was in the submarines, and he went in the Navy when I was a year old. And his ship, he had a brand new submarine that made 1940, the Triton. And they was at sea when it all happened. And while at sea, why, he got appendicitis. And he had to go to the closest hospital they could find to get him off. And it was Wake Island. And he was, of course, they started taking that the 16th of December. And so he was a prisoner of war all the time. But he says, uh, told me that, he says, um, he was out of the hospital waiting for a ship. The ship was supposed to be back the day they invited it, or invaded it. And, uh, he said that uh, they put him on an old 5-inch 51 with some Marines. And <clears throat> he says every time they'd come over with bombs, well, they'd run to a slit trench, you know, and get in it. And then when it was over, well, they'd go back to their ship again. And uh, he says one time they would come back to their, their gun, 
and it was kind of laying over on its side and no sights on it anymore. So one of the Marines uh, bore sighted it and sighted a, a destroyer that loaded up and blew the destroyer in half. And he, they, he said that was really exciting. You know. But then of course he spent all of his time in China. He was sent to China to first and then to Japan. Uh, I don't know what else I can say other than I was sure happy to get out of the Navy when I did get out because I don't think the Navy was my deal. I was overseas 32 months and I, uh, well, I was in the Navy three years, six months and nine days and that was plenty for me. Now is there anything else? That, any questions or anything? <coughs> Just got a coffee for a second. Um, do you want to ask him talk about Honor Flight? Oh, at this point. Yeah. So tell us about tell us about honor flight. Oh, tell yeah. us about your honors. Your yeah. Tell us oh, about your honor. Yes, flight. and what an honor it was. But uh, I had a good friend in the church that I was in that went the year before, and I didn't know anything about the honor flight till then. And he told me about it, and I said, "Well, how do you get in touch? You know, how do you find out about it?" And so they gave me Mike's phone number. Didn't know the man. I phoned him. And in a few days, I had an application, and I filled out the application, and I bet you it wasn't 10 days later, and he called me, and he said, you're on the honor flight of this year. Uh, which, boy, that was just great for me. But funny thing about the same people that I was just talking about, why there was a movie going on in town that I didn't even know anything about. And they come to me, and they says, you know, we had to get tickets through the Internet for this movie. And we ordered what we needed, but they never came, and they never came, and he, they says finally they must have forgotten about them, so we ordered them again, and four tickets came. <laughs> so they wanted to know if I would want to buy two of them. So I bought two of them. And when I was going in the movie, I'd, everybody with shirts on like his, where they'd say, I'd what, what was the name of the movie? Oh, <laughs> it was the Flight of the Honor Flight. I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, the name of it. But anyway, every man that had a shirt on like him, I'd say, are you Mike? No, no, you'll see him, he'll be here, you know. So finally, after the moving all over, this gentleman here, why, he uh, got down in front and says, now is there any questions? And I always raised my hand up because I want to know who Mike was. And I, I said, well now, who are you? Oh, he says, I forgot to say who I was. <laughs> he said, I'm Mike. And so as soon as it was all over, I went down to him and I said, you know, if there's anything I can do for you, you should sure be good. Uh, call me because I think it's wonderful that a man like him would take his retirement and, and do it for us. You know, I just couldn't believe it because after, after I got home, why, in San Francisco, why, people would just look at me. I had five ribbons and and other than long hair, why, they were probably thought I was a boot, a boot, you know. <laughs> they just looked at all boots like they was nothing. We never had anybody greet us in any way, shape, or form. In fact, before we come back over, why, we was told that there was bands on the docks and everything else. But we was lucky to have men enough to handle the hawsers when we tied up. Very lucky to have them. And you know, that was very, very disappointing. So, now what else? <laughs> so, 
Yeah, you went over to the Honor Flight. What kind of experiences did you have when you were on, on your trip? Oh, well, the biggest uh, experience was that was the second time I was ever on a commercial airplane. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I just couldn't believe that everything was completely free for me. And we got on that plane and we headed over there and as soon as we got to our destination, well, we had all kinds of people to greet us. The fire trucks, they sprayed water all over us and everything else, you know. And But <clears throat> the main thing, of course, was was seeing the different memorials. And you know, if it hadn't been for Tom Hanks, I don't believe we, we would ever have had a World War II memorial there. But he kept talking on television about it. It was a shame that this was going this way. So we finally got one that opened up in 04. Other than that, why? And where was the only war? All the rest of them was police actions, you know? And you know, in all those police actions, we never won one. We walked away, lost, and run, cut her tail between her butt and, and, and run off from it. And I never could understand that, because we were supposed to be a good country, you know, that takes care of, get rid of communism and all that kind of stuff, but it just never happened. Uh, but anyway, why, one of our first ones was World War II Memorial. And I went through all of it. My niece was my guardian. <laughs> and that, my niece, that was the oldest brother was his daughter. And of course he died when he was 52. Uh, so she went with me. And we had a real good time and everything. But while I was waiting on the bus, the bus hadn't come yet. And I was sitting on this uh, seat all by myself. My niece had walked off someplace else, you know. And there was a couple of young girls, it was high school age, I'm sure, very pretty, very pretty girls. And they were standing talking to each other about eight, ten feet from me. And something told me to get up and go talk to them. So I got up and I went over and talked to them a minute. And I don't know what I said. It must have been something about how pretty it was because as old as I am, I still know beauty when I see it, you know. <laughs> Anyway, I turned around and I walked back over to sit down. I turned around and just started to sit, and there they was in front of me. So I stood back up, and they started asking me questions, you know. And I was starting to answer them and everything, and out of the corner of my eye, I would see more youngsters coming around me. They was they was visitors themselves because I seen they had a they had a, a name tags and stuff on them, uh, and then. Mike had to come along and spoil my fun because, oh, I was, I was loving every bit of it. I've never had young children around me like that before, and oh, it was wonderful. Anyway, when Mike come along and says, hey, Vern, the bus is here, you know, as I remembered. Anyway, well, I told him, I said, well, I'm awful sorry, but I've got to go. But will you do two things for me? And they looked at me like, well, what can we do for you? You're leaving, you know? And I says, one thing is, I, I, as, you, as I think it is, that you're interested in World War II, so study it, because it was a horrible war. And I said, the other thing is, get to know the Lord. And I walked off from him. And of course, I seen all the other memorials too, and I loved every one of them. I took all kinds of pictures. So tell about when you got back. 
the greet, the welcome you got when you... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we uh, went back into Dallas, wasn't it? Uh, out of Dallas into Portland. No. <clears throat> we flew from Dallas, coming home, we flew back to Portland. Yeah, but yeah. we're going in. Going in. We were the, we yeah. even greeted going in. Yes, we were. And uh, then afterwards, while we was greeting again, we had to, we had to go to uh, uh, Baltimore yep. to get on an airplane to come back. And there was a big greeting in Baltimore also for us. But then we flew back, and of course, every place that we had to land, well, we had the fire department out there and spraying water all over us and everything welcomed us, you know. And then when we had to get into different terminals, why there was, oh, just hundreds of people that greeting us and everything like that. I mean, it was just really amazing. In fact, I thought it was so amazing, this last tour that, that Mike was on, I had to go up and be part of the greeting. <laughs> and oh, it was, it was just completely wonderful to see all them police officers and firemen in full dress you know, to greet us and to take care of us. It was just, it was just completely wonderful. So how did um, it feel to be recognized, finally? Well, I was back to my old self after I got home. <laughs> uh, but I've had a real good life. I've had a wonderful life because the Lord took care of me. He made sure that I was not on the front lines or anything. And uh, He took care of me and after I got back, He got me introduced to my future wife, and I only had her 60 years, which I would rather love to have her right to this day, but she got Alzheimer's, and, and so I had to lose her. But, and now I'm in one of the most wonderful churches that I've ever known. And I, after, after I retired, my, right before we retired, my wife was talking to a man. He wanted to know what I was going to do after I re retired, you know. Because I was working in Washington, Oregon, California, and Nevada. I was an electrician. We was putting computers in mills. Uh, and she said, well, my husband uh, thought that he would like to get some church that he could do a stained glass window for. I took stained glass so that I could have something to do after I retired. And he said, are you going to be here for a few minutes? She says, sure. She was out taking care of a little puppy we had. And uh, so he went to the motorhome, and he come back with a flyer for Mobile Missionary Assistance Program. And what they do is they go from one place to another uh, to work on churches, Christian campgrounds, anything that's Christian like that. So we decide, well, when I retire, we're going to check into that and find out. But this man was in a bus with his family, and they went around and sang at different churches and stuff. But after, after I retired, well, we decided we would go into this program, so we went into it, and we worked nine years at it. The first year, we'd done ten, ten months. But from then on, we kind of slowed it down a little bit because, you know, it costs a lot of money to take a motorhome all over the place. And so it was a minimum, it was four months in a year that you had to be with them, stay with them. So we went uh, November and December, January and February. So that always put us to the south in, in all them times. And we, we really enjoyed it and loved everybody. Met, met so many wonderful people. But one church that we'll never forget 
we was in Arcadia, Louisiana, and we worked at a, at a Baptist church there. And this church, they had to tear down the old church to use the same, same lot, you know, for a new church. So while he was uh, there, well, they, I don't know if they leased one or it was borrowed or something else. This is a small church. And, never, and we was required to go to these people's church the first week. But after that, we could go to any church that we wanted to. But when we got to this one here, well, we decided we was going to stay with it because they was a wonderful bunch of people. And it was always full. I mean, there was people standing in this small church. But they always made sure we had a seat. And the first three weeks we was there, we was the only ones that went there the rest of the time. But the first uh, first Sunday, while well, we all had to get up and tell them who we was and where we was from. And but then the next week, while well, was, we was there by ourselves, and we had to get up and tell who where we was from and all that. And the third week, I got up and I said, "Now I'm not going to do this anymore." I says. But now you people all know me, and on top of that, I feel I'm a temporary member of your church. <laughs> and oh, they was a wonderful bunch of people. We uh, got ready to put the roof on, and they announced that they needed somebody Monday morning over there to take all the roofing material and get it up on the, up on the roof first to put it on. And I couldn't believe it, but there must have been 25 or 30 young men there. And man, they had that building material up there in just no time at all. And you know, believe it or not, we never saw them again until after, after it was done. And I never saw them. But uh, I didn't get to finish it. But then, <clears throat> right after that, my, my family lived in Kansas, I said. And my next to the oldest brother, why, uh, everybody kind of gathered at his house. And so each year, while well, we would try to go to Kansas to see all the family. And uh, anyway, why, that one year, my brother says, well, why don't you guys go to, go to Florida with us? They were going to go to Florida for the winter. And I, we said, hey, no reason why we shouldn't, you know. So they said, well, we have to stay here now until after Thanksgiving, but you guys can go anytime you want to. So I said to my wife, I said, well, let's stop down in Arcadia and see that, new, that church we helped work on. So we went down there, and uh, as I say, I was an electrician at this church. Uh, anyway, and uh, the big beams and stuff, I had to run conduit through them. So I had to have a big, what to call a pole, a pole uh, drill. And I asked them if they had one, no. And we was being sponsored by another electrical company, and they, they, had, they sold all the material also. And I said, well, ask them to borrow one of them. And he come back with a brand new one. And, you know, those babies are not, you know, $3. They were $35, $40 back in those days, you know. Anyway, why? I says, well, couldn't you borrow one? Oh, he says, I didn't bother about it. I just bought one. And so when I was through with it, I handed it back to him. And he said, no, that's yours. No, it, that's yours. And I said, no, it's not mine. Somebody else might need it next time, you know, because I didn't have all the electrical then. And, well, he said, it's yours. We need another and we'll buy it. So uh, the next uh, coordinator of ours came in before we left. And I handed a bit to him and I said, do me a favor. And after I'm gone, will you give their coordinator this bit back? 
Anyway, we went down there, and of course we didn't know what their hours of church was on Sunday, but there was an RV park down close to it that they called uh, Bonnie and Clyde, believe it or not. <laughs> and so we went in there, and then Saturday we had this, this coordinator's phone number and everything. And so we called him up, and he said, well, what time's your service tomorrow? And he says, why? And I said, well, we're one of the mappers, and we want to come and see your church all finished. Oh, he says, which one are you? And I said, well, I was the electrician. Oh, he's, I've still got that bit for you. <laughs> so the very next day, well, that was the first thing he gave me. But the funny part about this church, you know, I don't, I don't believe there was any difference in color in any of them. Because I had, we had to get up, and, enter, and he introduced us. And I, before he got all through, I says, hey, uh, uh, I think his name was Jim. I said, hey, Jim. I says, uh, uh, now, none of these people had known who he was if we hadn't stood up, huh? <laughs> There's only white people there. Right. <laughs> of course, we got a big laugh out of it. But We're going to have to... Um, yeah. You don't need to wrap it up. I've got another meeting to film here at 1.30. Well, so. I'm, okay. That, that's just about everything that about my life. Right. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Listen to your story job. for a long time. Well, so. Thank you uh, for even thinking about having, uh, you know, having me. Thank you for listening to the Valor Vault podcast. Remember to subscribe for more veteran stories and tales of the honor flight. Our episodes are available at www.swvhonorflight.org and at valorvault.podbean.com.